are the Coin Boys, your average everyday crypto bros. That's right, it's Andy, aka producer, by the way, or producer BTW on Twitter. And sitting right to my left is Aaron. That's right, Sanity Crypto, aka Crypto Sanity. Uh, and then to my left is Mr. Daniel Gutierrez, everybody, at dgutierrez84 on the Twitters. Hey, everyone, before we get into the full recap at E3, we just want to, first of all, thank you for all the reviews and stars that we get on iTunes. But we want to tell you, if you've been listening to the podcast already or you're new, please go over to our iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't, because sometimes you're listening and you find out you're not subscribed. So we really appreciate any love towards the iTunes. So please leave a review there. I mean, you can even ask a question on the review. We'll answer it. They can also follow us at the Coin Boys at Coin Boys Podcast on both social medias, which is great. Yes, yes, and, and we're, we're also on Google Play. Yeah, and uh, we're on SoundCloud. everything. But for some reason, iTunes people really need that for for us to do some special. That seems to be a guys. metric for <laughs> uh, getting media status at certain events, uh, including E three. So, so uh, thank you all so much for those of you who did subscribe and review uh, uh, review us before E three because that really helped us out. It was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. And speaking of E three, so here we are. We're not on running around like maniacs on the show floor. We're comfortably back at Coin Boys Studio. And uh, what do you, I mean, overall, I mean, for, I think there was a running theme on the side that you didn't notice. And Daniel was quite confused at times with terminology and, and stuff that happened in interviews. And I wanted to bring this up first on the top because Daniel's not wrong. We are a crypto technology gaming podcast and not everyone like Aaron and I are super into video games. Daniel, I want you to to tell me a little bit more in detail about this experience you had at E3. Before Aaron and I, who have been experienced E3ers, I'm, I'm sorry, I had to bring that up because that's something that bothered you at the event. Well, it, wouldn't, it didn't necessarily bother me. One, it was... The thing is, the E3, I feel, was made for 10 people. It wasn't made... It was yeah. specifically 10 people in the industry. Like Everybody else was just kind of there to make it look fluffy. But they didn't really uh, help out those fans, especially those fans that paid so many, so much money for tickets, to to actually do things. Like if you went to E3 on either the three days, you basically did one thing because you were waiting in line for a very long time to do that one thing that you were trying to do, whatever uh, it may be. Yeah, that's unfortunately. I mean, even when it when they didn't release tickets to consumers, like you couldn't buy a gamers pass. That was I think they started that about three years ago. It was always an insider event, an industry event. But it was they had exhibitor passes, they had media passes. But did any of those people pay? Any of those media? Any of those? No, nobody ever paid. The exhibitors pay. Exhibitors pay. Have, exhibitors pay. Yeah, to exactly. have a part of the floor. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, media is free because the they want media there to mm -hmm. support. Which is fine. I'm okay if you're media because we got in for free. We didn't pay because of because of who we are and thanks to those reviews. Um, but if I had paid, I would have been pissed. But I didn't pay, so it was a different experience. I feel like the hardcore gamers. Uh, well, that, and that's funny that you say that because this year I felt like they had more for the gamer passes to do than they had in previous years. Really? Yeah. When they first released the gamer sure. pass, all of these studios were basically on lockdown, basically saying, "If you aren't media, we're not showing you anything." Uh, here's a poster. See you later. And it was kind of that's it. You couldn't wow. really wait in line to play. You could see like a theatrical like preview of uh, a game trailer, but all the hands-on gaming stuff was pretty much media only, and nobody else got to do it. So that I would have been really pissed about. Now they're pretty much they're opening it up to everybody, so the gamers really get a, a chance to wait in line and, and participate to what everybody else gets to do. Yeah, because there were some fun things that you could do that we mm -hmm. did do. There was, and um, if you're a fanboy of anything, you wait yeah. in that line and you 
have tears rolling down your face as you get to finally play that game. And every day there's someone walking around the floor giving out something. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of free stuff, a lot of free T-shirts. The swag uh, is great. Yeah, honestly, they 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 spare no expense a lot of times, and a lot of those displays down there are close to a million dollars. Some of them, oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. or more. But back, uh, one thing off the top that I was disappointed in was the fact that Sony wasn't there. And Agreed. we've already seen EA fall out first. Then we saw uh, Xbox and now EA. And Xbox is literally across the street. So I guess I don't count that as much. But <laughs> the uh, the West Hall, which is where Nintendo is, and usually where Sony and Xbox stood, was just a little empty. Where the South Hall, which was the big hall, was busy and bustling like we were used to. Yeah, that's yeah. what normally E3 looks like. He's like, you got that big hall that's packed. There's people. There's lights. There's sound. There's all this, and it's like it's you know a nerd carnival. But yeah, the yeah. Uh, other hall was um, looked a little thin. I mean, Nintendo did a good job with their display, but everything else around it just really seemed kind of light. Yeah. But but uh, just on on your point uh, with the gamer pass is that I did notice that there are a ton of hands on games on the floor that you you have to wait in line for. But mm -hmm. I've noticed there was a ton like the. I was playing that that weird pinball game, Beach Ball. There was like probably Peach Ball, right? Peach Ball. Sorry, there was probably like thirty games there around me mm -hmm. to play. You know, there, the Sega area was very busy with games to play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so there was games to be played, including Oculus had had games on display. Oh, that's true. VR for. had a strong presence there, which yeah. I'm, me is like the <laughs> resident VR super fan here. I was really happy to see how much representation virtual reality is finally getting because the technology is there. We just need the development of the games and apps that work with it to really push it forward. Yeah. I mean, once E3 figures out what it is, I think it'll probably be better. Cause like if, if you said before, nobody was paying to be there, it was mm -hmm. just a media thing. Then that's one thing. So if they're going to start charging, they need to start realizing who to pay. It's like 350 to. something. Yeah. For the yeah. three days. Yeah, it's exactly. The most expensive thing I've ever seen, but it's not cheap, <laughs> but I've also been, um, I've also been kind of spoiled by the crypto conventions that we've been going to and all that stuff because there i can actually talk to someone uh yeah and ask mm -hmm. questions and kind of get about every project that's about basically anything. there yeah and sometimes it's the actual ceo quite often it's the actual <laughs> ceo of that project right there that is true uh um i wasn't expecting to uh, talk to any ceos at this place because it's, it's a different game it's a different perspective but i was at least hoping to see people from the project they're able to answer questions and just that representatives kind of, you know, and they, it wasn't really even that because they just had hired people for the day to to monitor the lines basically well that that was on the floor yeah but any of the hands-on media stuff which we were lucky enough which to a go different to situation you see how they treat the media on a separate industry level it's more professional if very you notice yeah very professional the floor they're not going to put their dev unless it's like the indicate section where there actually are these indie games and their devs next which to is games. really cool that yeah which is cool. which you can get from the indie uh indie uh what is it called um Indicade uh, booth, which is there every mm -hmm. year, uh, which has a uh, uh, event coming up in October, which I I hope to get us into more more that indie could focused could yeah. be fun. Uh, but I, I do want to say that yes, a uh, lot of gaming we hit you with, and I think Dan Daniel, what I was uh, just coming full circle to that topic is that I didn't realize you know we're talking. We're interviewing like all these people, and like yeah. we know the terminology, but and you're not tossing out history, and you're tossing out a lot of things, which is great, and I'll and find that. But I, as me, as, as somebody who's watching the technology on the outside, I don't know, I didn't know where where to grasp at. So, so to speak. yeah, no, I understand, but we're here to kind of uh, recap a lot of what we did, and hopefully answer some questions that maybe we weren't able to answer, Daniel, or 
other uh, maybe not so gaming centric people that listen to our podcast. Uh, we're going to help break down like the three day event, which is for the last how many years been one of the biggest gaming events every year. And this is the type of season like we have blockchain week. This is gaming week in America. Mm-hmm. Next up is GamesCon, which is in Germany, which is more of like a large uh, Comic-Con style gaming event in Germany, which I wish we could go to because that <laughs> sounds so much fun. Uh, followed by PAX, which is also a heavy gaming event. So we're com- we're still like bleeding into a lot of big gaming events. Yeah. Then in the fall, winter, we hit those. We hit a lot of the crypto electronic events like CES yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to start with is just uh, day one. I guess we'll start there. Day one was a lot of hey, let's go walk around and just react to the floor. Just we had some li- we had yeah. some live streaming problems, but that was fixed because we decided to just shoot it and then edit it and periscope it. Right. Well, yeah. there's so many people. I think the networks were just clogged. All the cell towers were clogged with yeah, everybody can, either calling or texting or or live streaming. Or yeah, whatever you couldn't really doing. do much there. Yeah. So yeah. we we learned some lessons there, but it was really fun. It was a uh, very colorful, but um. Of all the things that I that I feel was the most impressive, it was Fortnite. But the thing is, again, Fortnite there was nothing really to, to, uh, to really reveal because it's all the same. Like that's true. I mean, some of it is just a big old party and advertisement. I mean, the first thing you get, you walk in and Borderlands Three is in your face with this yeah. giant, geez, how I don't know, twenty foot tall and fifty foot long video wall of playing different stuff, and then all these like different, you know, all the Xboxes set up that everybody could go play, I and mean, it was. The wow factor there, and then right next door is Fortnite, where they had all these like almost like wipeout games, and and they had all the the character people dressed up, yeah. which, which I thought was great. They Doing had a the ton of them. Moves. They had like yeah. the cone guy, the fish guy, all these like kind of well known uh, skins that you've seen in the game or whatever. Uh, so I thought that was fun. We even played Fortnite yeah. for a second. The I one mean, thing they're that good I, at building hype. Yeah, they are. <laughs> the one thing I, that made me crack up was. Uh, is Aaron kept on changing the settings <laughs> of the people oh, working there? Like, don't, don't change, change the settings. I'm like, I have to invert the Y axis. Uh, seriously, that uh, down I'm, is I'm up like and you. up is down. That's, yeah, that's how my world works. I'm and that's sorry. how I, I I learned too. Yeah, yeah exactly. So we yeah. had to fix all that. And then we went to the Bethesda booth, and I and you know Daniel was just talking about we don't really meet the CEOs, and then uh, one of the main heads of Bethesda comes out to talk to me. And the thing is. But, <laughs> the wow factor on my area was nothing. I didn't care. I thought it was just some random dude because he kept on saying, oh, I did this guy. I'm like, I don't know who he is. It doesn't matter. But then, like, he came out and did this thing for us to let us to go uh, play Doom Eternal. Yeah. And you, uh, both of you guys were like, what just happened? And I'm just, I'm just like, the guy let us in. That's basically what, <laughs> what happened. Yeah, it was Pete Hines, who is uh, probably the guy that opens every Bethesda press conference. Uh, he did it this year. He's the main. I don't think he's the CEO. I forget. He's just like the head VP, pre- vice president of like gaming or whatever it is. I mean, Bethesda is a powerhouse publisher. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, the, the different franchises they have. So, yeah, they having have him great... come out and shake his head and be like, oh, yeah, they'll, they'll hook you up. They'll hook you up. And they did. And we'll get That's pretty funny. We'll get to that later. That's kind of day three stuff. Uh, but day one, we did see what we talked about earlier. There's two halls, really. There's the West and the, the South, South Hall, hall. Uh, which, if you've ever been to the L.A. Convention Center, is kind of like these bookend sections of the the actual event. Yeah, and you're walking a lot. You're walking a lot. And not only that, outside of the South Hall is a huge entrance. There's like TikTok was there. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, like huge like motorcycle yeah, setup TikTok. was there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's... There's a concourse. So what I'm trying to visualize for you guys is there's posters everywhere. There's beautiful art and advertisements. There's people giving out everything. I think we all got TikTok shirts, right? Yeah, I did, did not. Uh, because in order to get TikTok, you have to a TikTok shirt, you had to download it, and I refused. I already had it. 
I refuse. Okay. I re-downloaded it, and then I deleted it. Then (laughs) you go further, and if you ever listen to our CIS episode where they had that is where they had kind of like the indie concourse, which we ended up playing a game there, a fun Oculus game. But uh, what were your impressions, I guess, of both halls? And I'm going to kind of veer this to, to Daniel. Did you notice a difference? Personally, as someone that hadn't been at E3, I well, I wouldn't notice a difference, but I noticed a difference in how it was the space was being utilized compared to other times that we've been to the convention center. There, it's definitely a very big spectacle. It's beautiful. Lots of lights, lots of colors, lots of things for you to take pictures with. Uh, big dragon. I saw big ice dragon, which was really cool. Um, and but I will say this: um, I didn't get to learn too too much about games, uh, just by walking around, just by doing the normal thing. So, um, if you're, I mean, if you even like what's going to happen, even a preview or anything like that was kind of a little bit difficult to get at. Um, and I, it wasn't until day two when we started doing our media stuff, the yeah. more behind the more interviews that I'm like, oh, okay, so this is what's going to happen in the future. This is what's going to happen there for, for this game and that game and so on and so forth. So uh, that's when news started happening. Yeah. was day two. But I will say for our first coin boys experience and and what I'm really proud of is that we got the coin boys in as us and we were Mm -hmm. working for us, which was really exciting because I usually if I go to E3, I'm working for someone else or the last time I actually went as a podcast was four years, five years ago with Destiny podcast. Uh, which at a time they didn't even know how to measure the metrics of podcasts. So um, <laughs> it was a little easier then. Did it was you had little, to argue your way in? Or I did? argued my way in nice. as a Destiny podcast, which was a, a cool story in itself. Because I was just like, hey, we're only one game podcast. And the lady looks at her boss. She's like, they're only one game on that. That's why their audience is so small. I was like, yeah, she's right. She's absolutely right. And then they're like, <laughs> and then they're like, all right, let them in. And then we got to interview Bungie that day. It was, you know, there's happy accidents happen at E3. I was so lucky to work for a show leading into E3 where I got to deal with games, uh, which allowed us to get into meeting rooms, which I wanted to talk about because meeting rooms are different. And we we were trying to separate how the media gets invited to these hands-on exhibits. We have some experience with that. And also we got to talk to some actual devs of games and producers of games. Yeah. Um, But one thing I do notice that you have... Right on, on the table here is a bang, uh, which is really funny. Bang energy E3, drink. The energy yeah. drink so is dead. huge. Uh, they really want you to try their energy drink. Oh man, they, they had a big old stage. Everybody was like break dancing, and you know, and they were handing were out stickers. And they had out sticker. It had a number on it, and if you found another person with that number <laughs> on it, you guys were bang buddies. <laughs> then you go get awesome. swag. That was actually it pretty was funny. Awesome. They actually had had good representation, and I mean, of course, they're gonna get there's some hate from other people being like, oh my god, scantily clad women passing out energy drinks, and it's like. But they also had scantily party. clad men. That's true. It was an equal opportunity. <laughs> it was equal like barbarians clad. and stuff. Anyway. Yeah, they had everything. Else. Now the angel on day one, we saw the angel, the angel wing, lady. which was awesome. She must have been like that's was amazing cosplay. That was for Darksiders. Yeah, and that I was, told her, uh, "You're yeah. this is like some intimidating cosplay." She's like, "Well, thank you." Yeah. I was like, <laughs> "That was, I was one of like, the coolest pictures you took." By the yeah, way. and then later we saw them again. They were doing it every day. I was like, "Wow, you guys are just dressing up every day like this, huh?" And you know me, I'm just like straight up. Like, yeah. It was funny. They were really cool. Um, and I appreciate people like that. I did fulfill a dream, fellas, day one. What's that? Oh, yes. Mark, Paul, F. and Gosler, everybody. That's right. Zach, Zach Morris. Morris from <laughs> Saved by the Bell. 
He was there with his son. Uh, he was right. there with his son, and I that harassed him on accident. Uh, no, he, I had saw him earlier. In fact, if you like, if you were on the live stream, you heard me like just screaming to the mic. Mark Paul Gosser right over there, and <laughs> That's um, funny. and then probably I, is in there. And I was like, let me go back around. We were we weren't streaming anymore. Let me go back around to see if he was still there. And I walked there, and I didn't see him. And then I turned around, and he's actually starting to walk out. And I took my only opportunity, folks. I've been in the entertainment industry for a very long time. I've met people and personally handled people. Michelle Obama would be the biggest one I actually met, spoke to, and handled for mm-hmm. a little while. Uh, I was not as nervous as I as I. I've never been this nervous. <laughs> That's funny. Asking Mark Paul Gosler for a picture, I was shaking, and I didn't know what to do with my hand, so I put wow. it on his lower back, and it was <laughs> awkward for everybody. <laughs> but thank you, Mark Paul Gosler, for taking that. Don't picture. ever wash that hand. <laughs> I did not. It's in a plastic bag every night. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's growing green shit. No, we did. I think we were on the live stream. And like you, yeah, yeah, that's you what saw said. us going. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, was oh my cool. god! So that yeah. was good day one. So day one, I mean, that was, was impressions. Yeah, day, and day one is basically you just kind of got to get your bearings, and you got to take it all in, find out where all the booths are, and see what on, you want to go back. Plan of to. attack for day yeah, two. Exactly. Well, let's end day one with that awesome Twitter uh, gaming party we went to. Oh yeah, right. So, that was day one. That's true. I was on uh, just you know my. I was editing cri- in the media center. That's right. I was on my we sanity crypto uh, account on Twitter, and I saw Twitter gaming post something, and I was like, Twitter gaming. So I, I don't know. I just threw a little shade and was like, Does Twitter even game? And posted a little you know gif with it, and they were like, We're not casuals, bro. And I was like, All right, well, what, tell me what's up. Where are you guys at? I'm at E3. Let's see it. And he asked me, what game, what systems do you have? So I let him know I've got pretty much everything. And he goes, all right, come to our Twitter party tonight uh, at this place and uh, DM the account. I've got something special for yeah, you. Yeah, it wasn't an alleyway, by the way. It wasn't like a, sh- a, sh- a shady place. We went to a place called Lucky Strike. Yeah, bowling alley, yes. <laughs> nice bowling alley. <laughs> yeah, no, it was Lucky Strike, which is a cool bowling alley. And uh, they really kind of went all out. That was a, They rented out the entire place, multiple hours, drinks on them, open bar. They had food flowing everywhere, people just passing out little mini sliders and pizzas and they gave us a nice backpack with a couple of with nice shirts. Yeah, we walk right in. They hand us a Patagonia backpack that's loaded up with Twitter gaming swag and uh, some Twitter gaming socks. Yeah, those you got were a highlight. Yes, and you got some custom hats. Yeah, because we they embroidered our Twitter handles into hats for us. They we got to pick our own shirt. They got screen printed right there. It was. Uh, they really went all out. It was really one of the cooler after parties I think that I've seen from E3. So it was really fun and uh, good job Twitter. Just to balance yeah, well this done, out. Twitter is I went to the YouTube gaming party that same night, uh, which I was invited to because I worked for YouTube on that show, and there was lots of alcohol. There was Diplo playing. You know, I don't even like Diplo, but he was there, and he was doing his thing, his Diplo thing. Uh, (laughs) I guess that's what you say. Uh, There was tons of big YouTubers there, I recognize, from gaming to other, other kinds, and they just didn't have any food. And all I could think about was, man, Twitter didn't screw me like this. <laughs> you know, That's like, a big faux pas. If you're drunk off your ass and you, you need, need some, some food, food to level man. out. Oh. So now I know who brings brings the, the A A plus effort to their after parties. Twitter gaming. And you know what? The YouTube gaming party must have been super expensive. It was like like they were like three like like bubble domes they put up and stuff and like there was lights and electricity and so good production value good production value with no no food food. (laughs) and if there was there was like rumor of food they're like do you guys see any i thought i saw cocktails over there or cocktail hour over there and then i'm like where and then it's like i could have sworn i saw food (laughs) i was like at the youtube party like that you guys are having illusions of food like mirages they were giving you moscow mules like really high-end like drinks for free 
and no tipping. You weren't even allowed to tip for you Christ's sake. Oh, they told you specifically yeah, like, not to tip. Yeah, they like, please don't tip because I guess they gave them all stipends of wow, tips. That's Who good. knows? Um, good and for them. I was just like, thank God for we were in Little Tokyo because there was a ramen place open like oh. right after. And that, oh, very that, necessary. That was oh. very necessary. But lo and behold, I had so much fun at the Twitter party. And thanks for, I'm wearing this awesome long sleeve Twitter gaming shirt right now. Yeah, everybody with, can see it right now. With um, Twitter gaming on yeah, the sleeve. Without, I mean, I'm, I'm going to rock it because what are we on most of the time? We love Twitter. Twitter I mean, yeah. and we're very, you know, we've been periscoping our, our episodes. So thanks, Twitter, for all the love. I felt like we got rewarded for being really heavy on your outlet. Like, yeah. yeah. Let's, oh, let's and I'll, I'll say the special gift because I had to track down this guy. Like, you got to find Shiraz. And I was like, all right. So I was searching around, found the guy. And he goes, all right, you got the backpack. You got all that stuff. Cool. He goes in the back and brings out a playstation 4 scuff vantage which is actually a very high-end controller uh very high-end it's usually like 160 180 bucks and then so i was like okay cool that's i got this sweet controller and i open it up and it's branded with twitter on there and even has hashtag twitter gaming on there so i was i was thoroughly impressed nice yeah, yeah. So that was day one, and day one was full of, of excitement yeah. and experience. A uh, quick tip for those of you who do want to go to uh, some, uh, to E3, if you do go, bring food. Just bring your own food. Oh, the, the food trucks. Food trucks out there. Ya. Delicious, but you weren't spending anything less than $18 for one thing. I bought Easily. these fries that were amazing, yes. but uh, 18 bucks for fries. Yeah, it was uh, $18 per burger, Except and then fries were $10. Don't afterwards. forget the free sandwiches at 12 if we happen to get now, them. If you, but that's for media only. So I wanna, Which we were media. I want to give, give a shout-out to those who don't go there and that are media. Yes. That are not media. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Pack a lunch. Yes, pack a lunch. And then I was really sad to see that uh, Larry's Sandwiches, which was in LA Live forever, was closed. It was my go-to. Yeah, that was We delicious. went there for CIS. I oh, was like, wow, this sandwich was amazing. And then we go there and we're like, it's closed. It's, it's my go-to. We were the only customers for seven months. Damn, that's crazy. But okay, so the start of day two was crazy because I actually was able to set up some really cool interviews. Uh, starting at 9 a.m., we rushed to the meeting room it for Dying rush. Light 2. <laughs> Which Dying Light is a definitely a triple A game. It's a parkour meets zombies, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, is the best way to describe it. But we walk in and the PR guy's super nice and it's really interesting because when he was hooking us up with the the, the arrangement or what day we were gonna go, he's like, I stalked your podcast and I saw that it was crypto. And uh, I was just making sure, you know, and I was like, yeah, we're crypto gaming centric. He's like, oh, OK, great. And then when I saw him, he was super nice. Guy. He's like, we got alcohol. We got we yeah, got, we get there at 9 a.m. 9 a.m. And he's got, like, you got coffee or we alcohol. got alcohol. And I, like, I almost got a shot. I almost took a shot. I thought you I just needed have. water. I so needed water at that point. the difference here, though, and if you notice, they decorated the room in dining light, dying light fashion. There was a huge dying light like like. Thing good on the atmosphere. Wall. Uh-huh. It was um, just like all media. Just it was media invite only. So we all kind of waiting room that we could you know get coffee, kind of hang out. They had the the trailers playing in the background. It was, yeah, and you know. then and then we went into the awesome theater. And when you walk in, they have these awesome dine light too. Like what are they like like foot? It's like a size. swag box, but it's about a uh, yeah a little bit over like a foot a, tall, and it's got the figurine of the main, the main character, the main protagonist in, in dine light too. Yeah, and it was just like these must be like a two hundred fifty dollar. Uh, uh, what do they call those things? I don't even know what they call oh, them. Like figurines, Souvenir yeah. figurines. Jeez, it was really cool. Statue. She's like, and they're from Poland, so they're like, check out your seats for a surprise. <laughs> and they were super nice, like such a great developer. And we had Timon, I believe, uh, Timon, or mm-hmm. I might, or Timon, I might be saying his name wrong, Timon, and the, I think, who yeah. was one of the main creators of Dying Light. 
the original dying, dying light, and then the level designer sitting by the computer, the level designer, yeah. which here's Igor. the difference, Daniel. We're like in a room with like all the creators of the game, which mm-hmm. is a much different experience. And man, did they put on an awesome show. It was about a 45-minute show of him explaining the game and what they're doing and differently. Live gameplay. Live demo with him commentate, commentating on the demo. Thoroughly and entertained. Crazy impressive. I will say I was so exhausted though. There was a couple of moments I was like kind of teetering in the passing out because it was so comfortable. And there was All like because dark. YouTube didn't feed him well. <laughs> yeah. It was, keep in mind, I had a, a really, I just was in bad shape the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Daniel, what did you think of the, this experience? Were you expecting anything like that? Yeah. To be honest, this is what I was hoping a booth would have been. This is what I, because mm-hmm. I was hoping that they would, if they took this out, brought it out to a booth so everybody could see it, that would have been really awesome. But I understand the want for secrecy. And I'm not going to lie, the way they presented it to us was phenomenal. Oh, well done. And they couldn't do that. Well in a booth. produced. I don't think they could have done that in a booth, but they could have done like a preview, a good preview for people to watch at least. Yeah. And this was also very unique, I just found. I mean, I. Being in LA and just knowing the game industry and knowing people, this is this whole team of Techland from Poland. They are so all enthusiastic about their own game. Like they were all super happy, super positive, and they were all every time they spoke about the game, they you could see the actual enthusiasm in yeah. all of their it's faces. Weird, and when their, you talk to the Bang voices. girls, they weren't as enthusiastic That's about true. Bang, but that everybody at Dying Light actually, I thought I'm going to buy. It. I don't, I didn't care at first, but then they made me actually care about the the game. It was really cool. And it, yeah, for those of you that aren't hardcore gamers, Dying Light was a zombie survival game, but you're really good at parkour, so it makes it a little bit more fun to jump around the city. Uh, but then at night, the zombies become faster, and they can chase you a lot, a lot easier. Uh, so, but they were just like from that alone, it was a very ambitious game to begin with, just with how what freedom you could have of kind of movement. And with this game, it's just next level. And if you, you guys got to see the actual footage that uh, Andy cut together on our Twitter. Yeah. Definitely check out that interview there. Well, I was actually going to throw to that. So let's listen let's to, throw the sh- to the audio. But you got to see that video. Yes. Uh, we have this. We have all these interviews on Twitter. But here is uh, Aaron interviewing uh, one Cornell. of the Cornell, uh, one of the producers of Dying Light 2. I was a big fan of the first Dying Light. Uh, so I was really excited about this. But it really seems like you guys took this to the next level. So uh, just tell, I got to see it. We all got to see a little bit. Tell us a little bit about what's different now from Dying Light 1. <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to like uh, say in one, in one sentence what's, what's different, but uh, mm-hmm. basically we took everything what you've experienced in Dying Light 1. Yeah. So the brutal combat, the fluid parkour, the day and night cycle, and we, we built it on top of those. So, and we didn't stop there. And you also added the next pillar to the game, which is choices and consequences, which is like crucial, crucial uh, feature of the game. Yeah, that seemed insane. Like now that it's more, it was just kind of a sandbox action horror game before, but now it seems like it has RPG elements because you're literally deciding what happens with the world as you make decisions. Yes, of course. So we, yeah. the goal was to make a narrative sandbox, like we call it narrative sandbox. So the, your ability to make uh, crucial differences, like the crucial changes in the world you are playing with. So yeah. uh, not only the gameplay will be different for you, but also the narrative side. So those two will correspond to each other during the gameplay. Your decision will really have impact in the city. So what you've seen in a demo. Yeah, it seems like it'll have a lot of replayability with that as well. Yeah, and we are. Yeah, a lot of the decisions are tough decisions, right? You didn't make any to seem easy, like, oh, save the person or just let them go. But it seems like everything's going to have a benefit and a potential consequence at every single turn. Yes, of course. We know already that uh, perhaps after finishing the game, you'll see maybe 
50% of the content after the first playthrough. That's, that's very ambitious. I mean, I'm yeah, super excited, and this is an amazing demo. So thank you very much, Cornell. Uh, we are super excited. Now, I don't know if you guys are floating around a release date yet, or have you yet? It's going to be spring 2020. Spring 2020. Yep. Okay, that's uh, very exciting. Well, Cornell, thank you again. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, guys, Dying Light 2. Check it out. Yeah, uh, they were so nice. Like that guy was even cool. Uh, great interview, by the way. And I thought that thank you. That was an that was example of like some quick shit we cut together at at E three to try to get you guys some cool content. And it was a great just little piece. And they gave me the B roll, which is even better, so I can throw to it. Now, so. what I found very very impressive about this game uh, from a technology standpoint was this thing is ex this is the kind of game that I've been kind of hoping for for a while. And that is, you can play the game again and again and again, and it, you'll have different outcomes. Because throughout the game, you're making decisions, and mm -hmm. that decision affects your city. Mm -hmm. And what he had said, uh, I think you had asked this. Did, did somebody ask about uh, player versus player? Uh, uh, I asked about multiplayer. You multiplayer. mean in the actual demo room? You in did the ask demo room, so, we yeah. got the Q&A. I, I was asked about multiplayer. And uh, yeah, they said that they were going heavily in multiplayer, and they're going to have up to four people can play. But whoever's hosting, if you guys join my game, and I decided to you know, let that city get over, you know, the, let the dam break and let it flood that part of the city, that part of the city's gone in my game. But I go into your game and you chose to save the dam. These are examples that yeah. actually happen in the game. But yeah, it's like then that part of the city would be accessible with different options, different characters to interact with, different quests, all that stuff. The Which tell was amazing. The telltale element is, is excellent. Like yeah. The narrative choice. Well, and that's the thing, too. It's like they basically have to make multiple games to make one game, which is why it's so ambitious. And... You know, other, game, other games, they can just make one game here, play from A to B, and that's your game, and people are going to buy it because they know we made a quality game. But they're making multiple games built in one, so the replayability is insane. Yeah, and as a crypto guy, uh, listening to all this, I, I, just, I was just thinking, I'm like, can I... Can I keep the assets? Like, can I? Because you get different weaponry, you get different skins, you get yes. all this different stuff. And I'm like, can I keep all those things? Is that mine? <laughs> or no? Well, sometimes there's a there's a thing in certain games called New Game Plus. So after you beat a game, they'll let you start back over at the beginning, but you keep either certain either stuff you've uh, evolved with that you've unlocked, like skills you have, or it'll let you keep certain items that you've had as well. So you can play the game again and it still feels new because you're kind of juiced up the next time through so mm -hmm. new game plus is something that i hope they institute as well because that might make it more fun to just be starting off as more of a badass not starting off at zero again yeah i uh, i guess my my final thought on dying light 2 is uh just focusing on progression of your game from a from a sing from a, the first to the second and they've added like so much so i give them kudos and that's the type of developer and game triple especially when it's triple a that you want to see is like progression of of the game updating and stuff so yeah i would actually say that this game stole the show for me yeah like, personally yeah, I enjoyed it, and I think it also we're biased because we got that really great presentation of it, so we got to experience a lot of what people didn't. So I think that helped our decision on that. Very true. Uh, and we could tell you guys from our experience that Dying Light 2 is something I'm going to definitely look at buying. So after Dying Light, we had another appointment to go try out uh, Phantom Covert Ops, which is a kayak military stealth game. You say it again. Uh, kayak military, military stealth, stealth game. game. I you like it. That yeah, that I, was, I don't want you to think so, it was a mistake. <laughs> I got to try it out. And now where it was really immersive, and Aaron, you know that I don't play a ton of VR games. You're more VR-centric mm -hmm. than I am. I felt like... So so basically you put it on and you're in a kayak and you're on a stream and it's very dark. Tactical it's like, kayak. It's like dark and military. And what I did feel immersed like is like... Because you're sitting in a kayak, so when you're like 
I was like, wait, I'm sitting down on a chair. But when I was in the game, I really felt like I was in the kayak, which was really strange because your legs are supposed to be like mm -hmm. in it. So I must say for like an immersive game like that, it was odd for my it was tricking my brain really well. Yeah. And I was just like, uh, and, you know, you had the row. And I think I told Daniel, I didn't know how to row back. And I'm like, oh, wait, you have to do that. Just with your do arm. it in reverse. I'm such yeah. a bad kayaker. <laughs> um but anyway, those guys are really cool. They're based out of UK. It's End Dreams. And actually, ironically enough, uh, I had done something with them about three years ago, two years ago, called Bloody Zombies, which mm -hmm. was a side-scrolling brawler. So it was cool to see a developer go from a side-scroller brawler into a really immersive, like, stealth, uh, uh, you know, uh, VR game. So mm -hmm. it was a big jump for me, g giving that perspective. No, um, I didn't get to see. You both got to see. You but got to try it, I, right? I did. How, what did you think? How are the graphics? Uh, the graphics are great, and you're also running this on the Oc so Oculus just released two new headsets. Uh, the Oculus Quest means you don't have to plug it into a computer, uh, but yeah, the Oculus Quest is uh, you know, and it's entry level. It's three ninety nine. People can get it. They don't need a powerhouse computer to run it, and that's what we were playing it on. And the graphics were were very very clean. But then if you have a badass computer, you can get the Ocular Oculus Rift S, which you plug into your computer, and then it can push the graphics to way way higher, way cleaner, way smoother. So uh, I didn't have any problems with how it ran on the Quest. Do though. you do you have the Oculus? At I home? have the regular Oculus okay. Rift, but now they have the, the Quest second is kind of brand new. Yeah, yeah, Quest well, just got released. I'm just curious as to how. So if you have a game, is it just all up downloaded in your? So yeah, if you have the Oculus Quest, yeah, you basically have to plug your Quest into the computer, or it might be able to do it through Wi-Fi, and then download games into the headset, and okay. then you have them on there. So you probably have to rotate if you have if you want to have them all on there, it may run out of space. But uh, you probably have to rotate which games you have actively on there. And like, could I take the Oculus with me anywhere? Could I? Yeah, the Quest. Hotel? You can. Oh, the Quest. Yeah, put it in your suitcase like, and play it in your hotel if you got enough space. And it has little cameras on the externals of it. So uh, it, what it has you do is what they call a guardian. It'll it'll show all the little cameras. You can see this kind of like black and white fuzzy, you know, view of your world as if you had the headset off. And you have to draw a circle of safety <laughs> around you, and that's called the guardian. If you get too close to that wall, if you stand up and walk, it'll uh, take away the game and it'll show you the room being like, hey, you're getting close oh. to this uh, dresser. Whoa, that's really good. Yeah, that's like new technology. It's like room scale stuff. Uh, the Vive had done that for a little while, but the Oculus now has that that has four cameras on each corner looking up towards the ceiling and down towards the floor. So yeah, it, it can sense when you're getting outside of your uh, realm of safety. Nice. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to get into VR just a little bit more just in general um, before we go deeper into the game in that what are the... Where's the connection between blockchain and VR? Because I know there is one, and we're trying to do augmented or or AR, right? We're trying. Uh, I know that there's been talk about it. I, I haven't, haven't heard of it. I haven't dug into the rabbit hole. The only thing I know is that you can go explore what Decentraland uh, virtually <laughs> is what some people were saying, and I'm like, well, that's yeah. cool. I still don't want to pay. $80,000 for a piece of virtual real estate. I no, think uh, Michael Nye was doing crypto like meetups on, on no, VR. No, no, no. He, no. he still does the reason, no, <laughs> VR meetups. I mean, I don't want to jump into the next one. We'll, we'll get back to it. Now, now uh, there is an actual connection that I know of. It's from the next uh, one of the next interviews that we do later on the day. But um, but uh, we'll get back to it in a moment. But anyways, going back into the to the game, um, was it what's the learning curve on that one did it feel really natural i mean that? for someone that you know honestly like i'm not very experienced with vr so loading my gun was kind of i was like what do i do and i was like forgetting that vr is kind of built to do it like you would in real life yeah it's, so it, it was pretty intuitive and he was just looking for like what like, button do i push I? to reload Where they're like I? no there's a box of ammo in front of you reach out with one hand grab something and then bring it towards your gun and it 
you know, loads inside your gun. You guys didn't <laughs> see me, but I was having lots of problems inside but that game. But you may see you. They may see you real soon. That's well, right. I'm saying you didn't like see the gameplay. Oh I yeah, saying. no, I we couldn't see what you were doing at all. So what I'm saying is I was stuck in a bush a couple of times, and I was just making believe like, <laughs> yeah, it looks like I'm still fucking doing this game. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so yeah, when I got to play, it's it's definitely got a little bit of a learning curve. If you haven't used a kayak before, it can be a little frustrating <laughs> with the physics. But yeah, you you paddle like you would in a kayak, and then you've got a silenced pistol on your chest that you can use that to try to either shoot out lights or shoot the generator or try to take a guy out quietly. And then over your shoulders, a silenced M5. So uh, Andy didn't stay stealthy a couple times. So he obviously he was like, oh, God. Oh, God. I'm not. They see me. They see me. So he was just like grabbing at weapons and trying to stay alive. Was, there's like a sniper on your back. There's a gun here. I mean, you're plenty loaded with weapons. Yeah. But uh, it it's going to be a fun game. It's no, going to be a really fun. fun game on the Oculus only, actually. Yeah. Only it's, on the Oculus store. Because it's being published by by Oculus. So mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Um, and good for End Dreams, like I said, because I knew yeah. them. So uh, let's continue on our, our crazy day two uh, moving fast forwarding, we stopped and just checked out CTR Racing. Uh, met with Andrew, one of the producers who I actually ended up producing. He just gave us a little backstory. Uh, but CTR Racing, so just to talk about it, it's it's Crash Bandicoot kind of. Uh, I don't want to say those words, but it's a kart racing. Oh, it's uh, a it's battle kart. Yeah, that's the genre. Yeah, and uh, now we I want to talk about though. There's this like theme. It's like Mario Kart is the kart, but then you have Sonic doing it. You have Crash Bandicoot doing it. Yeah, there's it. a Sonic racing. There's Crash Team racing. So there's the the battle kart genre is basically everybody who's got a property a yeah. icon has some kind of kart some game. kind of battle kart game. Now the game does look good, and they have built it again from the ground up. So it's not like a port or anything. They're actually like uh, from what I what Andrew had mentioned is that the game itself is a rebuild of an older game mm-hmm. that hasn't been out in years. Yeah. I mean, Crash in the 90s, Crash Bandicoot had a ton of games that came out with other uh, Nitro Racing and all, all these other racing Yeah, they games had racing games in the past. Oh, I yeah. remember. No, no, I know. Four I meant the gap between their racing game to this oh, yeah. one. And then 2002, I think they disappeared for Ever. a number of years, I think, almost like seven years. Then they came out with some like trilogy, which I think was more of a throwback to what they already had. So this is one of their newer games for Crash Bandicoot as a character in... About 10 years, I think. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it looks, I mean, people were excited about it. Uh, they had the big Crash Bandicoot guy in the costume. But it yeah. was actually him. Them. Yeah. It was actually the guy from the commercial. Yeah, yeah. The, oh, yeah. They have a new live action spot, and it's the guy from the commercial. I was shocked. I was like, wait a second. This guy agreed to this? Like, I yeah. guess it's paycheck. That's awesome. Well, I mean, it's got to be really hey, hot play in that, that role. They're, they're promoting it. It's got to yeah. be really hot in there. That's the only reason why I'd be like, Ugh. they're promoting but it. But he did it. There did it. Uh, so the rest of the so we hung out there for a little bit, and then at three that day we had a really big announcement. We were meeting up with Wax, mm-hmm. one of the only cryptocurrency centric uh, companies that we had previously made some kind of connection with before E three that we were going to see them. Yeah, I had known through uh, shout out to Jackie, uh, their from their PR department or their PR. Uh, she she said there was going to be something happening, and I'd love to get you guys there, and uh, she did. Uh, we went there, and turns out we were surprised to see that there was this like sneaker company uh, Artifact. called Artifact, yeah. and there was like this really cool sneaker on display. And these couple of like they had some booth booth people dresses like like you see they were wearing like um, outfits like they were graffiti artists. Yeah, did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so they had like this really cool thing, and we we were just learning then what the hell was going on. And it turns out uh, Wax is partnering with Artifact artifacts to put sneakers on the blockchain so daniel and aaron were able to interview 
them right on the floor, and we posted on Twitter, but why don't we throw it right to the interview? So Artifact is the future of sneakers. We're mixing esports with a higher sale of technology, using cryptocurrencies to back the trading, creating secondary resale values of the sneakers, but having the craziest designs in the world, pretty much using the best skin designer in the game, Chris Lee, uh, using the best technologies. And then we've got Evan here, who Wax is supporting our platform. So our shoes will be all blockchain based. So when people purchase them, they can trade them instantly. So no more waiting for shoes to arrive. You can get the shoes straight away, transfer them, trade them, get the physical shoe. So it's a crazy new brand. So super futuristic. I have a real quick question. Let's because of that. Because that, uh, so are we trading the physical shoe or are we trading a digital shoe? How is this? It, it basically works as both. So we're creating sneakers as a currency. So the shoes are sold online. You buy the digital digital sneaker. And then as soon as you receive it, you have the option to trade it because the resale value will be there. So it's like a digital asset. And then secondly, you can exchange a digital shoe for the real physical shoe, which is like uh, like the brand's called Artifact. It's like a museum artifact that has a great value and can be resold and traded. So we're making sneakers into stocks using the Wax platform, which Evan can cover a bit more of the like techie stuff through there. Yeah. Sure. Evan, can, you, can you let us know a little bit about how Wax is coming, uh, plays into this? Honestly, I'm going to just tell you, Stephen did an insanely good job of explaining that. It was pretty concise. That was great. Yeah. So, yeah, really, um, you know, we partnered with these guys because they're literally the best at kind of each of their individual sectors in the game. Like, we've been working with Chris Lee on skins for, I don't know, years now. Mm -hmm. And then Stephen's probably the best, you know, cut and sew shoe guy in the entire game. So, when they came to us with this concept of, hey, guys, we want to make kind of this new generation, this whole kind of new paradigm shift in the sneaker drop game, I mean, it was a no-brainer for us, and we had the kind of perfect technology platform of blending digital and physical to kind of enable that, right? So we used the Wax blockchain to tokenize their shoes. Mm -hmm. So we put them on a token that's a digital token, but they're backed by real shoes. So they can move as easily as a token. <laughs> Sorry. Backed by shoe. real shoes. Proof I love this. Yes, that's right. Excellently done. Uh, you guys just coined something for us, right. huh? <laughs> but, uh, but so, uh, so it's, it, uh, is the physical... Can I connect a specific token to a specific shoe? Is that how it's working? Yeah, so basically, their shoe on our platform, you wouldn't know the difference, right? It doesn't look like a coin, it's not a currency itself, it's literally like a viral, if you're familiar with our technology, the kind of dApp that we've been utilizing, which is, you know, you're taking consumer products and you're basically tetherizing them, right? So you're making something that's digitally tradable, digitally transferable, right? So we can get their shoes, I can have them, I don't have to actually ship them to myself until whenever, right? But I have the AR scan, I've got all the stuff, you know, important to me. And then I can go and turn around and flip it online. I can, you know, trade it to my friend. I can do anything instantly around the world. So it that's changes kind of the, the whole game, uh, the sort of sneaker culture, like gamer culture, how people like flex their skins in games. Mm -hmm. You don't need to physically have the shoe with you. You go on your our app and it'll, it'll show you the shoes you own. So that releases sort of AR animations that, I don't know if you've seen our Instagram videos, so people can create content with the shoes without physically having them. So that mitigates the problem of kids who don't have space to display these expensive shoes or they're worried to get them stolen. They can have them on the blockchain, they can physically show them off on social media through digital like technology that we're doing with AR, VR, and then if they ever want the shoes physically, they exchange it for the physical item. So very futuristic, very cutting edge, and it's the future of what we're doing. So as soon as we launch a shoe, it'll sell out very quickly, and then the secondary value will increase, which will promote trading like Supreme do when kids buy stuff just to resell. So this will be a whole new currency for kids, basically. It's digital assets for the new age of generation of esports. Will this also help with, uh, what I know one of the big problems in, in you know, any kind of brand, any kind of physical yeah. brand is uh, counterfeiting. 
Right. Is this gonna so we have tons of experience with that. With the blockchain and everything, the yeah. shoes can be exactly tracked. So when you receive it, you can confirm it on the app if it's legit or not. So no counterfeit problems with that. So all the shoes even will have USBs in them, some of them, the legendary ones, where you can plug into your iPhone to verify <laughs> it. So counterfeits aren't a problem with us. Really? And yeah, I mean, not to mention, right, so we have that whole blockchain explorer. You can mm -hmm. see, you know, like you could on an Ethereum transaction, mm -hmm. the Genesis block will be artifact, right? So, yeah. I mean, we have a direct partnership with them where the shoes are coming from the source, they're from Steven. So there's absolutely no risk of, you know, authenticity fraud or anything of that nature. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like Steven alluded to. It's kind of the best possible way to, I, to kick off, you know, drop culture and immediately flip things, trade them and really, you know, grow the hype around them. Another thing is like the shoes are made in an artisan workshop. So it's very high level people, similar to how LV produce their stuff. So the counterfeit, we've had issues in the past with our shoes, with replicas, but they can't get to the quality we have as, like the shoe there takes 30 to 40 hours to create. And replica companies that make use cheaper materials. So using the quality of our shoes is very difficult to replicate them. I mean, look, man, I'm as excited about this partnership as I am about any other. I mean, I love this, yeah. this team. I love the product. I think it's genuinely new. Um, we definitely have some other stuff coming up, and I mean, coming to E3 for us is obviously important. You know, gaming yeah. is at the core of our business. Uh, we need to keep our finger on the pulse. We're meeting with all sorts of people, so totally. this is really a you know a big work week for us as well. Yeah, uh, try to enjoy it as much as we can, though. So the thing about this is this is where I wanted to get at with the VR and blockchain and AR and blockchain mm -hmm. because the whole thing that they're trying to do is um, kind of Ready Player One ish. Yes. Uh, the only thing I could understand is that uh, put some VR asset ownership on there or create that world where uh, things that you earn and maintain in the world. But I don't know how augmented reality or virtual reality itself can function better via a blockchain. I don't know if it's functioning better, but I mean, it gives people those um, personal skins that they can walk around with wearing. Uh, I will see how well it works together, oh, but I'm sure we'll see projects like that, which is sure. really cool. Um, but the other half that I that we were talking about in the in the interview was that this this is one of the I'm talking about in terms of the blockchain technology how it's just going to be a part of the background I think in the future we're not even going to mention yes. it so much in that this is probably how brands if this works if this functions well brands can now combat um, those those copy uh, those pirating those counterfeits that happen all the time like and it's good for the consumer who are spending thousands of dollars on these high-end bags that they assume are real and they find out that it's just a, a cheap knockoff yeah and they didn't know now with blockchain you can verify back and forth uh the the actual shoe the that this is the actual thing yeah and i know that it's of course you know the fact that it's video gaming somehow mixed in here is because uh the way he designs his shoes is he actually has them uncommon he'll do a custom shoe that he makes only 500 of yeah. then he has a rare shoe that he'll only make 80 of and then he has the what legendary shoe yeah. that he has only makes 20 of so he actually makes the rarity much like the things are in video games as they well drop. don't forget that they're teaming up with chris lee who designs skins that's, for the sneakers that that and he's going to make gonna be, that's very so true. part of the game there's too. kind of like three elements there's the skin designer there's mm -hmm. a sneaker maker and then there's wax the, yeah. the the blockchain so there's like teaming up three ways uh to make some ill-looking designs his name's chris lee uh, and uh, I, I actually got to see some of his designs while figuring out the video to edit, and there's some really cool skins he made. Um, I've never owned a pair of like handmade shoes. I feel like I, I don't know, like the way he say, described oh, it. The I, game I want to put uh, my I want to put my shoes now. in that. Yeah, I want to put my feet in that. I'll just see how it feels. 
Well, yeah. he takes like top end shoes. Like he takes Supreme shoes, which are already you know over a thousand dollars, and then disassembles them and then restitches them together and then makes them like three to eighty times more valuable, depending. Really? Oh That's yeah. What he does? Okay. Oh, he does it with Air Force Ones. He does it with like he takes wow. legitimate shoes and then deconstructs them and puts them back together, custom style and. That's his industry right now. He's yep, yeah. Steven's killing it. Good, yeah. And uh, Wax is killing it. That was really That's cool to be a part true. of that. I want to thanks thank the Wax team uh, for hooking us up with that uh, exclusive interview right after kind of the announcement. Um, it was fun was very to exciting. be there and be a part of it. Um, and we wouldn't have been there if we weren't a gaming centric podcast that was at E3 that day. And I must say, William William is awesome. Uh, the yeah. CEO. He's such a cool guy to talk to. Like he's Agreed. very passionate and. And uh, he told us some funny stories, and uh, he's just like, he gets it, you know? He understands gaming and blockchain more than a lot of people in the industry do. In crypto industry is yeah, what I'm absolutely. getting at. Yeah, absolutely. So, awesome to be a part of that. And then I think, the end, towards the end of day two, uh, what else did we have? Did we have the journey? Yes, I okay. believe that day. So, Journey to the Savage Planet, which was a really interesting uh, interview, which we will throw to you in a second here, but just wanted to give some context that uh, Daniel was playing it uh, at the 505 Studios meeting room. Yes. Uh, he got to play it, and uh, initially, uh, that's what it seemed they were just going to allow us to do, but they happened to get us one of their art designers from the game, mm -hmm. and we did an exclusive interview, uh, and why don't we just go right to that? Hey, everyone. We're in the 505 meeting rooms here at E3, and I'm with... Eric Bilodeau. Hey, Eric. So uh, right now we got our co-host Daniel. He's playing Journey to the Savage Planet, which I'm 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 hearing is you're the art designer or the yeah, you're I'm the head of art. The head of art. Yeah. At the of this game or the whole at the at this game. At this game. Okay. So I guess what I want to start with is can I ask you a little background questions? Yeah. What, what's your background in art in the industry? Yeah, I used to. Uh, I'm from Montreal. There you go. So I'm from from Montreal. I used to work at Ubisoft. I work on Far Cry 2. Uh, then I moved to Warner Brothers. I work on the Arkham franchise. That's where I met one of the owner of uh, Typhoon Studio, and then we decided to start our own little business. Is that uh, Alex Hutchinson? Alex Hutchinson and uh, Reed Schneider. Yeah, nice. Okay, so I guess first of all, there's like an absurdity to this game and yeah. a comedic absurdity. Yeah. So explain how that uh, contributes to the art design of the game. So uh, since we wanted to focus on the humor, the, so a, a part of this is come from the, the audio narration because you get a narrator that follow you and speak and tell jokes. But there's also a practical uh, side to it where that's how actually it affects art, right? We right. need to make sure that we have the right setting to uh, to make it funny. So that's why we choose like bright color, that weird alien, because it's a perfect setup to make funny joke, right? Yeah, that's so it's kind of vibrant, it's colorful, it's it's, it looks friendly, you know what I mean? Yeah, like exactly. it's approachable. Yeah, a huge part of the game is about exploration. So we wanted to create a world that is actually appealing, that you want to explore, right? So that's why we choose uh, bright color. Before you get to the point of implementing everything, like are you spending drawing, hand drawing, or designing, graphic designing the game? Yeah, Can totally. you talk us through that process? Yeah, usually we, we do what we call a brainstorm, right? So we set all the, the guys together and we chat about an idea, then we first sketch it, then we do a, a quick prototype with gray blocks, and when we prove like it's actually worth investing more time in it, then we art it up and uh, put all the juicy stuff on it. That's pretty cool. And so how big is a team like yours? Uh, we're 25, so it's pr a pretty small team. So you're so 
how do you how does the the marriage between the coders and the artists work at a game company? I'm just curious. Yeah, it's like a dysfunctional family a little <laughs> <Okay>. bit. It's <laughs> like it has this pro and con, right? But that's what make it great because we have two two way of thinking, and I think the what is great is when we mix both together, right? So this right here is very I feel very cartoony, but it's not Correct. so much, and it makes me. Makes me happy. I don't know. I love cartoons Thanks, and animation. Uh, Did you start off as wanting to be an animator from uh, when you were younger? Yeah, kind of like uh, one of the biggest inspiration. It's uh, the you know the full CG uh, feature film. Like uh, like uh, by the time my son was watching Moana a lot, so we wanted like that like saturated brightness color that is feel warms and inviting, right? Yeah. Because it's um. I feel bad shooting some of these people. Yeah, I feel bad. It's, it's, it's actually intended to. So. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because like, there's these little cute chicks, yeah, and then like, yeah. I, I I smacked one. I felt real bad because it went ah, and then it attacked me. So I felt it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but it was really. Uh, this is interesting and exploration behind it. I just feel like I'm discovering new things. It's really cool. Thanks. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> so uh, when when can we expect to see this game? Uh, early uh, 2020. 2020? Yeah. Officially or no? Yeah, officially. You don't have an official release no, date? No, I'm, just kidding. Kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. I'm just messing with you. I, try to I always try to pull that out of people. But okay, so 2020, you guys are almost there. How f how far along are you really? If you could give me a percentage of like how uh, close this is. Uh, we are at like 70%. Like the whole game is fetch out. It's more at that point where we call it polish. Like it's like really uh, work on the ergonomy of the game, like the little rough part, like line the soft and everything up. Okay, I'm going to ask you one question that's not related to this game. Yeah. So we focus on a lot of blockchain gaming-centric things. Have you ever heard the word blockchain or cryptocurrency? Yeah, a little bit. Do you know anything about it? Not a lot. <laughs> not a lot? <laughs> no. Is it something that would, would interest you to learn about? Yeah, always. Like. Okay, so I, I cannot thank you enough because it's actually really cool too. You know, we, we talk to a lot of devs and stuff, but it's we, we kind of, I haven't spoken to any people in the art side of things. So I really appreciate what you guys are doing because art is probably one of the most important parts of any game. It's a good part of it. It's right. a good, I mean, the mechanics and the engines and the coders, those are very important, but it's always the aesthetics that bring people to the game, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, it's like a cover of a book, right? Yeah, it's like a cover that, of a book. That's draw your attention. Yeah, so I'm really excited to play Journey to the Savage Planet, and I want to thank you so much for taking hey, the time, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that was the interview. Uh, it was pretty cool because we didn't just have like a producer or a dev. This guy was uh, an artist. Part, an artist. Uh, he was part of the art design of the game, which actually, Daniel, if you can give us like a little visual perspective, what was the game like? So it felt like I was walking through a Disney movie, but like an alien Disney movie uh, throughout the whole thing. Um, it was a little bit confusing. I don't, I don't know what the point of the game was because it was just kind of me exploring and playing uh, firing off the different weapons, but as you heard me say in the in the in the interview, like I felt bad killing some of these things <laughs> because they were like little cute little cute chickens, or with but they're not big really eyes. They were like these tiny little aliens with big eyes. It looked really cute, and then and then he accidentally hit one. He's like, oh, I felt bad, and then they swarmed him. He's yeah, like, now I don't feel bad. No, because they didn't immediately attack me right after. They were like, ah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, 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 like I smacked a kid or something like that. I'm like, oh, no, this is bad. And the art designer said that was on purpose. Yeah, like, yeah. the whole thing is it's supposed to be cartoony and funny and a little bit silly. Uh, yeah. Comedic, yeah. yeah. It's definitely got it. I can see where it's where It's, it's adorably savage. But, um, <laughs> I hope, I, when all of a sudden, done, the funniest video game I ever played was Oddworld Abe's Exodus back in the day. Oddworld's good. I yeah. loved that game. It was hysterical, and everything about it would just kind of work for. And so I got that that vibe from it, from this game. But I hope, and I hope it continues. I don't know exactly what the ultimate 
goal will be, but um, but it was fun to play. Absolutely. Yeah, and it was cool to uh, – that's a game that I think is a little ways away from probably – I don't know if it's coming out. I don't think they even had – no, he said 2020, spring 2020 would be a release date. Mm-hmm. Uh, but So that game's got a little ways to go, and maybe that's something we'll see next year a little bit more uh, – a little bit more, more detailed, more detailed than understanding. Yeah, but at least they had a demo. Makes good games, so I think it'll be good. They're making, you know, when I first knew Five Five, they made a lot of indie games. They're they're pushing into like AAA now. They got Control. Oh yeah. Um. Uh. And this game is is not a small. It's not small potatoes. Uh. And I don't know. I'm excited about what they're doing. Uh. Their meeting room was okay. Uh. We we did shoot this one, so we'll see about getting it up. I just um. I was by an exit door. That's the only problem with it but yeah. <laughs> uh anyway so that was pretty much day two because i remember that interview was like at the end of the day uh and before that interview we were just chilling i remember todd howard walked by by the way uh another big bethesda another guy. big bethesda guy so then we were there every day so then day three comes around and this day was a little bit more relaxing i would say we were just trying to like chill out a little bit and enjoy the rest of the show because we were rushing around the first two days it i think was, the uh, second day was crazy yeah we had a lot of going on yeah uh, but which was cool because we like we had appointments and stuff, which I was really really happy about. But day three we had one appointment, and that was Doom Eternal. Yes. And that, if you remember, I had talked to the CEO, and he had uh, issued us a demo, uh, which was cool. Uh, they pulled me in, uh, Daniel and I, and then uh, Aaron had showed up a little later, and it was just a back room with all the the computers. People were playing Wolfenstein or Doom, but I uh, I got in there. We played the demo. Uh, and actually, uh, Aaron got to play a little bit, so we did a little bit of follow react that we posted on Twitter, and here's the audio for it. What's up, guys? Here we are at the Bethesda booth. Andy just got out of an exclusive playthrough of Doom Eternal that they had for media only in the booth over there. Uh, and so he had the first hands-on. I got a little bit, but uh, first reactions, what do you think, man? The tutorial was really hard. <laughs> it was pretty hard. There's a learning curve because... It's definitely a game you got to play over time and know the controls because right jumping in, I was kind of a little bit, uh, I guess, overwhelmed because the tutorial, I see why they had the tutorial so difficult because there was a lot of moving parts. So I would say my only complaint right off the bat was that, but then the PR guy was like, listen, we're trying to showcase everything in this little demo. So he mentioned, that. <laughs> he mentioned if... Normally the game will play you through the campaign. That's when you grow with the controls. Yeah. But I mean, once you once it all clicks, that's the type of game where your fingers will move and you'll know what to do. Well, they were doing the whole matrixy like this is a training level. Just yeah. go do this, go do this, go do this. Which it's it seemed like they were trying to rush you through a lot of the yeah. content. But there's also a ton more controls. Yeah. Like way more than it was for Doom 2016, and definitely more than the regular Doom franchise. So and, there's and, a lot more weapons and mobility and all kinds of stuff that I noticed. And I'm typically a guy that doesn't play any of the newer dooms i mean listen i'm i'm back in the day doom uh wolfenstein wildly different from the old doom <laughs> yeah it's wildly different it still has that doom vibe obviously the aesthetics the uh the, the bad gore? guys, the creatures, Holy the gore. Crap, yeah. But anyway, we'll see what happens. We'll maybe when we it does come out, we'll do a little review on the Coin Boys if we get happen to get it. And yeah, but it looks fun. Yeah, uh, I'll probably get it because I'm a first person shooter uh, fanatic. I'm not. Yeah. So we'll see. So we'll I'll see. Let them borrow. And uh, oh. 11:22. So confirmed. <laughs> we'll just keep you guys posted on Doom's release, and we're just gonna walk around on the last day at E3. So we'll Find see you guys later. Stuff.
But yeah, it's exactly what I thought in there. It's just like really, uh, they threw a lot at me and you saw how hard it was. I mean, you got to play it. Like by the time I got that far in the demo, it was really hard. So Yeah, and I've played some of the, like I played Doom 2016 uh, and a lot of people knew Doom from the PC, of course. The original Doom, Doom 2, all that stuff. Uh, but even Doom 2016 was pretty darn hard. And when I was playing, I kept, I was like, man, this is really tough. And, and Andy asked, he's like, what setting is this on? The guy said, medium. I was like, this yeah. is medium? He said, there's no shame in turning it down. Yeah. I'm like, yes, there is. That's medium because they do easy, medium, hard, and then marine. And marine is like crazy insane. If you can beat Doom on marine level, that's, you know, God status. So I, I'm morbidly curious to put it on marine just to see how many seconds I can survive each level. <laughs> Because medium was really freaking hard. I'm, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that game. As I kind of said, I'm a bit more of a, a FPS fan than Andy is. But um, I still got to go back and finish Doom 2016. So on the backlog. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I got uh, While you guys were playing Doom Eternal, I got, I got to also watch Wolfenstein mm -hmm. being played by other people. Mm -hmm. Wolfenstein Youngblood, I believe it is. Yeah. It was uh, scary. <laughs> and I was enjoying the... Because Doom was like, you're just surrounded by chaos. Eventually, you get so desensitized to all the crazy animals coming at you but where wolfenstein it's kind of like uh definitely it was like a lot a more horror film horror yeah. film-esque and i uh a lot of zom uh zombie nazis yeah so. <laughs> but uh we were trying to get into this vr wolfenstein that just didn't yeah that was stacked up well we had to like break down the door and get the be the first there each day to make sure we could get our media spots because i mean that's the difference now is that there are a lot more media outlets that are attending e3 so mm -hmm. it's like now People are having to fight for time to be able to schedule in. Back in the day, you know, it's five, six, seven years ago, if you say media, you could get in anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty easy. Sure. So, uh, but yeah, we wanted to play the VR Wolfenstein, which I think is already available. Uh, you're in a giant mech uh, going through the streets, killing Nazis as a giant mechanized. Perfect. World War II steampunkish, I guess, kind of uh, uh, feeling to it. So, yeah, I wanted to do that too. I, or else I have to pay 30 bucks to play it on my Oculus or something. Oh, really? Yeah. That's not that bad. A lot of the Oculus games are actually uh, pretty reasonable. Okay. It's actually pretty rare when you get a game that's like $50 plus. And is it worth it for $50 plus, do you think? Um, yeah, just for VR in general, uh, a lot of... There aren't enough full-size games in VR, which is part of the problem. A lot are just come off as demos. Like, you'll play it, and you're like, oh, this game's amazing. And then after level three, it's like, that's it. See you for the next sequel. And I'm like, oh, crap. So Damn. when you pay $60 for a game, I expect a full game. Okay. Yeah, that's just me. I don't mind paying 30 bucks for a really cool game that only has like five levels that has some decent replayability. But. And wait till you can own some of the shit on that game. And yeah. yours. And then uh, we happened to uh, run into uh, Keisha Howard, who was on the Games Beat episode with Sugar Gamers. And we watched a, pa a panel. Uh, what did mm -hmm. you guys think of the panel? It was a female centric panel about, uh, I believe there was a streamer. Yeah, there's women in gaming. There was a, you know, one was the streamer, uh, GameSpot correspondent. Uh, and the actual person that was running the panel was with women in gaming, I believe. Well, yes. Yeah. Women in gaming international. And then, and then Keisha was there. Uh, and then, yeah, there was, um, I don't remember the other. XO Academy. XO Academy. Uh, yes, and then there was one was, more. Yeah. But, but no, I was going to say it was, it was an interesting conversation. I just didn't know the fact that they, they're so small kind of, I think alludes to probably that there's a bigger issue that they're trying to tackle on. Are you, um, are you talking about sugar gamers? All, all of them. Oh, okay. All of all, everybody. They, were, they had so little um, 
people that they that, that were on the staff that were on the thing because they're trying to start something new. I mean, it's 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 a big task, difficult task, but they're trying to integrate gaming. They're trying to make it more uh, more inclusive, inclusive for women and people of color. I yeah. mean, all that kind of Everything. stuff, which is great. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I me and I know Daniel's got a daughter too, but I, as a hardcore gamer myself. With my ten-month-old daughter, I hope that she shares my passion for gaming. Because, and if she does, I'd lo- hopefully she can have just as easy access as everybody else. And that's what the whole panel was essentially about: was trying to include the people who aren't initially included in game development, in media coverage of gaming, and as being a pro gamer, all of the above. So I thought it was a really cool panel. Yeah, and uh, I guess uh, what Sugar Gamers, uh, Sugar Gamers is doing, they're they're getting a little bigger. They're based in Chicago, and Keisha's been. I watch her, and she's gone to like lots of events, and so they're spreading their word, and I think it's really cool. And you know, it was really cool to just run into someone that we've had on the podcast before, and I support uh, that kind of cause that they're doing. And she was really appreciative that we stick stuck around, and checked it out. Uh, and then after that. I think we enjoyed the uh, the one up arcade or the, the oh, arcade yeah. one up, yes. Which I thought was a great booth, by the way. What a what an excellent booth! That what? was a fun booth. Yeah. Well, they're basically bringing back all the old cabinets for more affordable for yeah, consumers. Exactly, for like yeah. smaller. They're rebuilding the, like the cabinets, like you all remember from the arcades. You could buy the full size one. You can buy one of the mini ones. I used to see it. They like have the, the coffee table co- ones coming soon. Yeah, they the have ones the tabletop like the, ones. That you used to see at the pizza the parlor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we used to like sit down and across. You those are the play. best. Oh, those were great. Yeah. But they're doing like they were changing up what you could have on there. Like you could have Street Fighter, so it actually split the table in two. And then I, the lower half towards me, I saw my side. The other half, the other was the face toward the other person. But I mean, they can even get down to they have a um, they have little miniature ones that are like uh, six inches tall that you can get. Oh, like there's gosh. a little miniature burger yeah, time one that's that like one. seventeen dollars. I mean, so they're just doing it. It's kind of like a throwback, a little nostalgia. Uh, and I just thought it was a it's a really cool concept, and I. I'm, I would love to have some arcade cabinets in my home someday. Yeah, I really like the Marvel, the Marvel one, the Marvel that Capcom, the yeah. giant, ginormous. They announced one. three. It was Marvel, Capcom, Ninja Turtles, and the Star Wars were coming out in November. So all those new titles and license. Nice. Um, and I did talk while you guys were waiting in line. I went to the PR person. I was asking her about how did you guys get the license for this. She's like, well, you know, we really like just started like a. You know, we came out with a prototype and then we started reaching out to the companies and trying to get the license. And now because of the success, our, we're, we're reaching out to all types of arcade cabinets. So sooner or later, they're going to hit all the, the biggest ones. And you, That's can, great. you can afford to have like that arcade feel at your house. And when I say afford, you know, it's two ninety nine compared to buying like a real, you know, retro cabinet, which could reach a thousand or more. Yeah, um, depending on what the game was now, originally loaded with, they can totally stick it to you. Now, how could they do that with pinball is the question, and that's really hard. That, well, here's also – this goes into another thing I was going to say. The thing about having these cabinets is you're going to have some friends over to play Marvel versus Capcom, right? That's a fast and furious game. So people are going to be mashing on those buttons and yanking on the controller. So when it breaks – where do you find an arcade repairman? Sure. And, yeah. uh, and then you can get to pinball. Like, pinball are very, very specific mechanics. And I'm sure Arcade 1-Up has some sort of warranty. They're going to have some kind of geek or, squad. Or they can fix <laughs> or That's the one thing I don't like about yeah. when I go to barcades is all of the controls are all messed up. Yeah. Every single one of them. Yeah. Because people like, are... Oh. 
Well, then you got people that are drunk that are and like rage quitting, hammer fisting the buttons and everything. So yeah, rage quitting. And, yeah, <laughs> I would be like super on the fence about actually buying that Marvel one because that one in your in, is like the perfect one, like you said, to yeah. have people play. Yes. Oh my god! Like I was playing Psylocke on the Mega one they made. Yeah, we forgot to mention there was a Mega one. If you see on our Twitter, we posted a a montage. Yeah, it was let like me throw to the montage audio. Hold on, let me throw to the montage audio. No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. Is okay. there any montage audio? <laughs> I'm kidding. It's a joke because we've been throwing. But um, got it. The Marvel man, I was like rocking Psylocke, and the next day my arm was hurting because I was rocking like some of the crazy moves I remember from Psylocke. Oh, man, um, but it was weird. You felt like like a tiny child because it's like a ten foot tall cabinet, yeah. and like, and all of the buttons are you know about six inches across. So there's <laughs> six buttons that you can only you have to use your entire hand to hit each one. So to do the super move, you have to hit all three while doing a maneuver. So I had to like try to lay my whole forearm across all three, and I couldn't get it to execute. It was impossible. Uh, I had all the infinity gems too. Yeah, but it was fun. I was gonna snap my fingers like Thanos. Yeah, and I, uh, I was afraid you were gonna. Do so yeah, the rest of that day we were just hanging out. But a shout out to Blockchain Beach. We ran into uh, Austin oh, yes. and Maddie. Yeah. Uh, we ran into Gaston. Shout out to Gaston. Uh, Gaston, like whatever you want to pronounce. It. And then we ran into Rock, who we had on the show. Which yes. was really cool to see Rock. In He's person. the only one that I saw wearing almost a tux. Yeah, like, he was, like he was almost a tux. so well dressed. <laughs> so shout out to Rock. It was great it's to true. see him. He, he did he did dress well. Most conventions, whether it's crypto or whether it's video games, it's like the standard thing is like, oh, I'm going to be dressy. I'm going to wear leather shoes, jeans, some T-shirt and a blazer. Yeah, that's like the standard standard. Any kind of convention you go to that you want to like, I'm slightly above the average that's what you wear and yeah. then uh shout out to andy anderson who was at e3 from engine and mm-hmm. we kind of missed each other we were dming and we we just missed each other so shout out man sorry we didn't get to see you at e3 uh but i guess that kind of wraps up like the the day progression and yeah, that's where the we ended gist up of everything that's the gist and i guess we should go around and do our favorite moments what do you think about that sure uh do you do you want me to go first yes sir all right so I'll put in the sound effect later, sound effect for this favorite moments section. This is a new section you of the have podcast. A, you have a sound effects? Yeah, we're this? doing... The, no, I don't have a sound effect. <laughs> um, now I want a sound effect. I should want I, a sound effect now. Favorite moments. So my favorite moment was running into Dr. Disrespect on one of our second li- live streams we did. Uh, that was it, fun. It was really funny because... Uh, first of all, I just didn't give a crap. I was just like pushing back, pushing back. I see this guy. I dropped my phone. I see this guy. He's like six, seven. I don't know how tall this guy is. He must Very be tall. He's yeah, so he's huge. tall. So you can't miss him. So immediately we started the stream and there he was. And I was like, perfect. And then I said, what's up? And I said, hey, we're a technology, you know, crypto gaming podcast. He's like, I got an idea. I got an idea. And he tells us about the idea of the the finger behind the phone yeah, yeah kind of swiping the touch screen on the back side of the phone so you can control your phone and your fingers and blocking the I screen i honestly thought it was a genius idea i i was not you know it was nice that he gave us some some kind of uh he gave something to the podcast he yeah, told us an idea mm-hmm. um, pretty funny but really funny is that moments later and i would think it was only like 20 minutes later he got banned from twitch on the stream that he was on so we were on his stream and i was on his i mean he was on ours and i was on his and he literally was streaming in the bathroom, which is a big no-no. Yeah. yeah. And Don't take cameras into the bathroom. Just FYI. Yeah, you can't live stream in public bathrooms. So Twitch ban- <laughs> banned him 
Moments later. So they later. took the whole stream down, which kind of is unfortunate. Because we did as a friend say, were you guys just on Dr. Disrespect's <laughs> Twitch podcast? He has a lot of followers. If yeah, and heard of him. It, was, it was cool. I thought it was a fun moment and just happy accidents at E3. I'm sorry, Dr. Disrespect, you got banned, but just don't shoot in the bathroom anymore, okay? Yeah. All right. Uh, that was my moment. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, my favorite moment, I have to say, just because I played the first one and I was such a fanboy, and then we got to interview the uh, the producer was was really the dying light experience. I was uh, I I'm just wholly impressed with the game. I'm very impressed with the team. They brought the entire team out from Poland just for this to showcase it. Uh, and like I said, I, you know, it's they were so passionate, and they're all so visibly excited about how this game is and what they've created that it just. That makes me even more excited that people are that connected to it. I mean, I've heard stories about people that, you know, oh, I've worked on Halo for the past eight years and I don't want to ever, ever see the Master Chief's face again <laughs> because it, it happens. So these guys, I mean, uh, the guy uh, Timon. The joy in their faces. Yeah, and this guy Timon has been do, you know, doing this for the past six years with Dying Light 1 and then on Dying Light 2. And I just I just love to see that enthusiasm. So it makes me, I mean, Techland impresses me and I think with what they're doing is is going to be really next level like they're kind of groundbreaking with how ambitious they're being with the game so that really stole the show for me i think all around yeah yeah uh for me um in terms of most memorable things that things that i liked a lot i think it was, Zach Morris. Light, it was no, that's number one not gonna lie it was <laughs> number one i was gonna mention it but like it's not gaming but yeah meeting zach morris was my absolute favorite but dying light really kind of i, I don't know if it was because uh, we got that special access or something that just made me kind of open up my eyes to the possibilities uh, that you can have in this space. And it was nice um, because I I don't know how, I don't know what the learning curve of, of playing that particular game is going to be. I'll find out. But like, I like that as idea as just a movie. If, if all I did mm -hmm. was choose my own story, if that's all I did and it kind of took it from the rest, that's fun. Yeah, that in itself is fun. That's like the Telltale games. Kind of, there's a genre that kind of does that too. And the fact that you decide. can actually do more within that, just that spot, within that technology. If you, that, the fact that you can do more, you can actually control the person. Every aspect, every, you know, every punch, every kick, every everything you can do. That's amazing. That's also oh yeah, freaky. the the battle action. Which I mean, there's there's a good bit in the in the video demo as well. But yeah, I mean, this, the fact that you're good at parkour. I mean, it's like the options you have to just do cool stuff, jumping from building to building, and you know if you. You miss a jump and you fall you get that little like feeling in your gut you're like oh like mm -hmm. the way they immerse you already aside from as you said the storytelling aspect i think is insane but yeah everything they're doing is just crazy so i'm glad that was your favorite moment yeah, that too, was actually. My favorite too. And, but another side favorite moment was walking away from andy uh playing a peach ball <laughs> pinball peach game ball. oh i'm i'm actually gonna i'm gonna request that andy and i do a separate segment so he can describe uh peach i want to get peach ball i actually probably will get it too uh, yeah. Really ironic is that someone on on Twitter I was following had posted like they're showing this. Can you game. explain what the game what that game is, please? Yeah. So, and this is from the girl that was displaying the demo to me. Yes. She's like, it's it's kind of a mature rated pinball game about slave girls that are like uh, what are called like kind of like humanoid foxes, uh -huh. and you have to turn them human again. But in each level, they're chained up in the pinball machine and you have to undress them in three different parts to get past the level. <laughs> um, they have mega boobs and I kid you not, 
it's an openly mature game. Yeah. It's beautiful game. It's very Japanese um, fan And the girl's <laughs> like, the demo girl's literally saying to me, this is what I'm supposed to tell you. I'm sorry that it's... I was like, no, I mean, you're it honest. It graphic. She didn't want to horrify anybody, yeah. but she's like, this is what they told me to tell you. And but, but she was like, she was even like, I think it's cool. I think it's... She's like, all right, you got through two. You got one more to beat the level. It's a well-made game. <laughs> Yeah, That's know, she said, this is the Nintendo <laughs> like Switch set, game, yeah. But but keep in mind, it wasn't. It's not Nintendo that that develops the game. No, they are not publisher. The publisher. Yeah, and, yeah. And the thing is, I had a I had a feeling that because I had no clue what the game was. I had a feeling walking with it. I'm like, I think this is a mature game because one, they didn't let us shoot the game. Yeah. And two, Andy was surprised and shocked. Like I can see the, his face, but he didn't say anything. He said nothing. I, I just saw his the whole face. level. And we were walking away, and 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 Aaron's like. Um, I guess he's just busy. I'm like, I think he's genuinely interested in that game. Like, I liked it. Sexy pinball, man. Yeah, I Apparently, was like, it's, a, it's a good he genre. W- he was so into the game like and the gameplay and wanting to know about so many things. I was like, what was up with it? And he, when he told me what it was, I started busting up. Well, I'm uh, now legitimately intrigued. Like, I want I'm gonna to play try it. the game. Well, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge uh, digital pinball fan, and the Switch me is too. really good for it. And it was an excellently made... Now, it's a Japanese game that they're actually releasing in America. This is the type of game you don't normally see released in America. Yeah. No, uh, these, so, the whole genre of, like, yeah, either dating games or slave girl anime games. I'm getting those are Peach more, Ball. Those are more prevalent in Japan. So the fact that they're coming over here, it's like it's nothing new to the world, but it's newer to some of the U.S. audience. Yeah. But it looks fun. I mean, it's... I, it was fun to play it. <laughs> My wife's going to be like, what are you playing? I'm like... Get out of the room. Get out of the room. She'll probably play it too, honestly. Get in the room. Get in the room. (laughs) But uh, that was our first experience as the Coin Boys. Yeah, the quick recap. That was, uh, honestly, it was... It was a little exhausting. We were just running everywhere. And it, yeah, but it was an amazing experience. I mean, we still got to go and play games and have fun and talk to really interesting people, have great interviews. So it was a really fantastic experience doing media the full time there. Yep. And uh, I just want to say thank you to Twitter Gaming for coming through with one of the best uh, post parties yes. at E3 at I ever had. Twitter Gaming, hashtag Twitter Gaming. YouTube Gaming, yeah. you get a big, uh, eh. <laughs> good party. Missing the food. Let's fix that next year. All right. Get YouTube. a food truck. I want to thank uh, Dying Light people, uh, yes, CTR Land. Racing, yep. uh, Dr. Disrespect. Uh, who else did we meet? Doom Eternal. Bethesda's people were cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wax. Wax. Uh, yep. Everyone Artifact. we interviewed, Artifact, all the people we met, all the people we met on the floor. If you happen to see us on the floor and you just discovered our podcast, feel free to email us at thecoinboys at thecoinboys. Dot com. And we also would love you guys to rate, subscribe, and review on iTunes. Give us some stars. Leave us a review. Uh, we're all around. We're Coinboys Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Same handle. I'm producer, by the way, or producer BTW. Aaron. Yep, I'm at Sanity Crypto I'm on at, Twitter. I'm at DGutierrez84. Yeah. Until next time, until next year, we'll see you guys. All, all right, right, guys. Well, I mean, we'll be back next Monday. Well, we'll be back <laughs> next Monday with. Or one- next Tuesday. Yeah, so we'll be back next Monday with your typical crypto-centric technology center. We got actually uh, coming up a VR music immersion technology tour uh, called Mural Shot that are coming on the podcast. We're excited to bring them in more tech-focused, a little bit away from gaming. Uh, it's all VR. I'm all over it. It's a VR. We got some more exciting, uh, actually a couple more blockchain crypto-centric stuff, but we're, we're leading out of this year. It's been exciting. I don't know. Yeah. It's the summer. It's a good time. Let's go to the beach. Get your stuff off of Binance, Americans. Yeah, see you guys next time. Let's go, buddy.